0: Come on and spend time
1: with Joe's
0: people. Just like a need, the old cathedral. I'm so glad I'm one of Joe's people. And we'll have a lot of laughs, get closer to the Lord. Just chill out now with Joe's people.
1: Ladies and gentlemen of the Worldwide Interwebs, good evening and welcome to Joe's People. It's a Catholic podcast, but it's not totally lame. This time on The Big Show, Joe laughs it up with his good friend, Katie Martin. They banter about Katie's new job, Lent, and the way of beauty. Then, Joe interviews Catholic artist, Caitlin McCollum, about the spiritual meaning behind her paintings. It's more fun than painting a Sistine Chapel while lying on your back. And now, the man who makes me a better Catholic. Wait, weren't you the one who told Doubting Thomas that he was being punked?
2: Hey, stick to the script.
1: And now, the man who makes me a better Catholic, Mr. Joe Geisler.
2: Alright, thanks for that intro. We're back. Okay, we've had a short hiatus on the podcast, maybe um, like a year or a year and a half, I forget. It's, uh, time flies, you know, it happens. Uh, it's, it's mostly the editing. Uh, interviewing people's fun, but podcasts, uh, editing, really not that fun. So, But uh, um, anyway, so... Um, so this week we're going to be uh, interviewing uh, Caitlin McCollum, uh, one of our, our artsy friends, and uh, and on the show we have uh, Katie Martin as my my co-host this uh, this week. How's it going, Katie?
0: Going all right. Thanks for having me.
2: Sure. Or I maybe say this month or this year, co-host this year.
0: This year. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so how's uh? So now you switched over to now you're working for Relevant Radio.
0: I am, yeah, yeah, I was hired back in November on All Saints Day, which is kind of a cool thing because I have all the saints interceding for me, (laughs) so yeah, Um, and it's been great to work for them, it's kind of a, you know, a a merging of my love for my faith and uh, the new evangelization and, you know, what you can do through the new evangelization and bringing that message to people, so...
2: So Saint Maximilian Kolbe, uh, that's, that's got VB, uh, one of your big patron saints there. Then, I
0: yeah, I do love like him. A, although I didn't realize he was the patron of the new evangelization.
2: Well, of like modern, modern communication. Was, uh, yeah. okay, cool. And I guess Saint JP two too. Yes, be, JP like, two is the man. Yeah. See, and that segues into. Uh, having dinner with my or lunch with my friend Kim, and she mentioned you guys are giving you're gonna give the Saint JP two Center an award. We are, yeah. yeah,
0: this coming Tuesday, March 28th, yeah.
2: Yeah, she asked if I was going. I'm like, oh, um, if I knew about it, yeah, I think uh, I'll, I'll discern. Uh, I'll, get, I'll get back to you on that. So.
0: You can blame me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good.
2: It's okay. There are many dinners and galas floating around. This is the, we have our gala season, uh, I think in spring and fall, so mm-hmm. gala and dinner.
0: Uh, True. Season.
2: But, so yeah, I, I guess you can give a... Uh, we decided we decide you can always give a, some kind of, you know, disclaimer that, uh, you know, Katie's views are not those of Relevant Radio or yes, any, of their, that's true. any of their affiliates. Or I'm whatever.
0: not speaking on behalf <laughs> of Relevant Radio tonight, and I do not represent their views or claims. <laughs>
2: Me neither, really. So. But I'm not opposed <laughs> to most of them, probably. So. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, the other thing I was thinking about, so it's, uh, I don't normally like to date the podcast, but I guess that we're in the middle of Lent, so I was thinking about what a... Uh, trying to think about what I was doing for Lent. Uh, I, I mean, I'm editing podcasts. That'll be my my penance. So, or my Lenten observance. So, but, uh, but do you have any you have any Lenten things going on?
0: I do. Yeah. I um, so I've been kind of diving into this ministry called Blessed Is She, and I I want to say is it Catherine Whitaker?
2: Oh yeah, Catherine Whitaker. Yeah. Is
0: involved in some way? Yes,
2: Scott has. Uh, He's married to Scott Whitaker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Her director of development at the diocese. Right.
0: right. Yeah. So I hadn't found out about it until maybe like, I don't know, a few months ago. And then maybe 10 of my friends spontaneously, like without knowing that anybody was talking to me about it, started emailing me, have you heard of Blessed Is She? Have you heard of Blessed Is She? And finally, one of my friends said, hey, there's this. Lenten journal that they've created that's sort of like a day-by-day guided journal and normally I'm not like a guided journal kind of person so I was sort of like ah did I really want to do this but it's really nice the way they have it set up because it has a little scripture passage and and then it has a little meditation and then some question prompts for journaling further um, and then just sort of like a short meditation that you can sort of pray with throughout the day um, so it's been, it's been good for me. I think in a lot of ways, you know, like it focuses on humility and sort of like, um, they use the passage from St. Paul, um, that says like put on love, you know, that is like kindness and gentleness and all of these other sort of qualities that we strive for in our Christian life. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so it's, it's sort of like challenging in the sense that it's, you've, you've heard all of these things before, but you know, you really have to kind of dive deeper into them and be humble about, am I really, you know, putting aside my anger or putting aside my um, vanity or whatever. In Austin traffic, definitely,
2: probably, probably not putting aside anger. <laughs> exactly, but, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so yeah, that's been good. Cool,
2: um, yeah, and Catherine's a, uh, she's also, she also works, or she's a uh, um, graphic artist, I actually had her do a graphic design for me a while back.
0: Interesting. And yet
2: another business I had yeah, years ago. So yeah. Cool. So uh, now, um, so we're going to talk to Caitlin, who's an artist, and art uh, kind of ties in my mind with, uh, we talked um, uh, years ago about via Um Now you might, uh, I, I have my own quotes on, on some of it, but um, you might want to enlighten us to. That's exactly what "via pulchritudinis" is.
0: Yeah, so the you know for those who don't speak Latin every day, "via pulchritudinis" means the way of beauty, and it was the concluding document of a two thousand six plenary assembly that was um, led by Pope Benedict, I believe. Um, and the way I sort of understand it is that they're trying to create pastoral. pastoral uh, sort of applications for um, the three transcendentals so the tri- three tr- the, so
2: fast the three honest.
0: transcendentals are truth, goodness and beauty. And what they say in the document very briefly is that uh, in the past the church used truth and goodness, as the primary means for evangelizing and um, converting those who are not Christian. But because we live in such a litigious um, society, and because we're sort, our brains are just sort of overworked with that intellectual side of um, sort of the argument and apologetics around Christianity, they say in the document that really beauty, the third transcendental, is going to ultimately be the thing that um, converts people and brings them back to the church um, I was thinking about
2: that today that uh, beauty is kind of less uh, um, a less controversial approach so you, you don't have people that are like man I hate that Mona Lisa damn it that just I can't stand that pain.
0: absolutely <laughs> <laughs> I know right yeah and i mean i think you know beauty is the language of god you know he he speaks it especially in nature we see it in the beauty of creation um so you know we we know it in sort of like just a natural law sort of way we know it in our hearts um so why not you know return to that cool
2: now now we've actually had artists on the show before i was thinking about that because i initially thought oh this is the first time we've We've had artsy people, but we've had a uh, um, uh, we had Arlen on, who's a photographer. That uh, I guess you can make the argument, you know. And he also he he, uh, he turns his photographs into different works of arts as mm. well. So and then um, Mark and Alex, we just we had on a while back, and uh, they qualify since they're filmmakers. So
0: absolutely, We yeah, do. You know, I mean, <laughs>
2: so but uh but now Caitlin, uh, yeah she's one our, she's our first painter I guess. And, um, and then. Uh, so she's actually not really one of Joe's people, she's more one of Katie's people, but I guess I, I guess I, I saw one of her posts once, I'm like, oh, a Catholic artist, okay, this would be interesting, actually, so. And uh, um, now how do you know each other?
0: Uh, we know each other through Schoenstatt. I, I think in my life, Schoenstatt is often a common denominator. Um, I think we just randomly met there at a women's group meeting on a Tuesday, um, and she is friends with Rachel Gardner, who I've known for a long time through Schoenstatt. Um, And then I wanna say maybe a year ago, um, she and I started getting to know each other a little bit better because my boyfriend, excuse me, my boyfriend and I had started a Catholic dating couples group. And so she and her boyfriend started coming to that group um, and got to know her um, just through seeing her more regularly. And then um, my boyfriend purchased Uh, one of her paintings back in at the end of the summer last year um and uh yeah from there i just i i've always been fascinated by especially her collection the cloud of unknowing um it's just you know it's that question of like what do you know is there but you can't see it or touch it or you know like you can't encounter it with your physical senses, but you, you know it's beauty and it's truth and it's goodness. Um, and so, I, yeah, I just love the concept of the Garua. And um, actually my boyfriend bought the, the original um, title piece for that collection called the Garua. Um, and then um, from there, my dad purchased uh, another painting of hers for me for Christmas and then most recently I um, have become a patron of hers she has a little patreon um, account for people who don't know patreon is uh, like a sort of crowdsourced way of supporting artists Um, so you can go online and donate to her Um, yeah and she just sent me like a little like you know Maybe it's like a five by three original work of art. So I feel like I'm kind of a Caitlin McCollum collector now. <laughs> I know, yeah.
2: Yeah, you have Caitlin everywhere now. Exactly. So, yeah. Cool. And yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about her. Uh, um, yeah, her uh, different collections, the Cloud of Unknowing, Yeah, when we when we do the interview. So, cool. All right. Well, great. Well, we'll uh, so we'll take a break and we'll be back.
0: This is Mary McClory. M Little C Big C Little L O R Y, and you're listening to Joe's People. He's a nasty guy. Nobody likes him. Nobody likes him anywhere once they get to know him.
2: So, all right. So, welcome back. Um, I'm here with Caitlin. Caitlin, is it pronounced McCollum? McCollum. McCollum. So, is it Irish or is it a uh, is it Scottish?
1: It's it's a very Scottish name.
2: Scottish. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I That's I was trying to figure out the. Uh, there's no rule as to whether M C or M A C is Scottish or Irish. Is no, actually.
1: The my name comes from originally from Clan MacLeod, which are the largest landowners in Scotland. Oh,
2: cool. That was the Highlander. So are you a Highlander then? No? Uh, I suppose so. <laughs> yeah, that was Connor McLeod. Yeah, he was a Highlander. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, um, there was a uh, uh, there was some comedian talking about uh, dancing in in Scotland, and he was saying uh, uh when the uh, he heard that the way the guy asks the girl to dance is he's like, So, are you dancing? And she goes, Are you asking? And he's like, Yes, I'm asking. She's like, Oh, then I'm dancing. <laughs> and he's like, It wouldn't work in the U.S. because he'd go, Are you dancing? And she'd be like, Do I look like I'm dancing? Why don't you beam the heck on out of here, Scotty? <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's funny. I was just thinking about Scotland. My, um, so King, King Malcolm, um, was like, The guy who kind of established the the clan MacLeod as being the 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 people of Scotland. This might not be correct. My sister and I have been doing some genealogy research recently, and um, my sister is converting to Catholicism. Oh, cool! And so she's she's picking her patron saint now, and she's chosen Saint Margaret of Scotland, who who married King Malcolm, actually. Yeah. So it's kind of fun to to have that sort of Catholic connection to the to the heritage now too. Yeah.
2: Cole. Yeah. Um, uh, so now, so we're, we're sitting in your your uh, East Austin. So I call it East Austin Hipster Studio because it's like if you're an artist in Austin, you have to be in East Austin. So and then you, you and you're almost as east as you can get. So you're like as hipster as you can.
1: Pretty you deep, can deep, east.
2: So, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So the yeah the um, uh, so we had this uh, I had this idea for this interview. Um, part of it was after talking with Katie. Uh, who, who couldn't make it today, but um, uh, who we were talking about um, via Pulcritudinus and called The, the Way of Beauty. And um, uh, so we were thinking about, you know, in terms of the connection between the spiritual and the uh, artist life or the, you know, the mystical and the artist life. And um, so the, and it's funny because it, um, uh, I kind of jumped from, you know, um, The Way of Beauty to art. And then I thought, well, you know, there's a the question of, you know, does that mean, is art necessarily um, uh, beautiful? And um, because I guess there's, um, I guess there would be different theories on that. That, um, uh, and via Pulcher they talk about the, I guess, um, the former, um, or Pope Emeritus Benedict talked about, um, the connection and the, um, basically it's sort of the, the, the way of beauty or via pulchritudinous, is, you know, getting to, getting to God through beauty. And he talked about the beauty of creation, the beauty of the arts, and then the beauty of Christ, uh, model and prototype of Christian holiness. But, um, so I'm curious what your take on that on, uh, like the, um, the connection between, you know, art and, uh, art and God and art and mysticism.
1: Absolutely. Um, I think, the, the idea that there is a connection between beauty and experiences of God is, is absolutely valid. Um, you know, going going to the cathedral here in Austin, or my my parish is St. John Newman, which you might know. We
2: you got we the just, big dome.
1: We we yeah. got the big dome. We just put in you know the. This beautiful mosaic dome, designed and built in Italy, piece by piece over ten years, and brought in. Yeah. It's gorgeous, um, and everything about that church is is just really beautiful. And I think it's really important to my worship experience. And something I've something I've kind of said jokingly is that there ain't no majesty of God in a middle school cafeteria. <laughs> and so I have a really hard time with with that. Sort of experience, like having an experience of God outside of a place that, that I don't think is full of reverence. And so, for me, the connection between my spirituality and my art is a very strong one. And what I'm doing in my work is 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 really trying to, to channel um, the voice of God and to to open myself to him in, in a way that is um, childlike. And so in my, in my process of making my paintings, I go in, I come here to my studio. Let's say I go to my studio, we're here. Um, I come here to my studio and I really try to cultivate a, a meditative um, atmosphere and tone for myself. Um, I put myself into, into a mood that I think is particularly receptive to God um, and then I, and then I, I lay out my, my paintings and I just, I start painting and, and when I make them, I, I often don't know what they're going to be, um, or how they're going to look when I'm done. I don't start with an idea. I just, I just start working. And then when I've done, I'll, I'll have paintings made and I won't know what they mean until I've sort of like prayed over them and had the opportunity to catalog them and archive them and, and. And, and like through the process of really um, trying to ascertain God's voice through them, is the titles come to me and the meanings come to me. It's mm-hmm. it's like a the slow revelation process, a revealing process, if you will. And um, so to me, it's like there there's always this very strong connection between. Um, the aesthetic, uh, well, especially the artistic process and and the spiritual one. And to me, it's like they're they're completely inter- intertwined. How how the how God speaks, how how um, my spirituality kind of lives in me, and how my art lives in me. And then, as far as like beauty being an important part of spirituality i think we as catholics really understand that even if we don't say it or really know what we're talking about or sort of overtly talk about beauty we just know that it is because we our churches are beautiful and we spend money on art and we have this long tradition of being um patrons of the arts and you know the church was was the patron of some of the the best and brightest old masters in Italy, of course, and yeah. it's too bad that we don't continue that tradition. But um, I think it's still a very important thing that we, and and I think we as Catholics really have that intrinsic connection to aesthetics being um, being a a piece of our faith that has a lot of credence.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I think you'll see. Yeah, like in the um, writings, like Hilaire Belloc and. Uh... Uh, GK Chester 10 the um, uh, even at the time I guess you know around er- early 1900s the uh, talking about the tendency to move uh, move away from beauty and art mm-hmm. um, but uh, um, yeah it reminds me of the there was a website that had um, I think it may have even been the Vatican Observer they listed the um, 10 ugliest churches in uh, Europe oh, dear. and uh, one of them <laughs> was a one of them was a cube. And I was like, well, I don't maybe they're trying to reach out to our Borg brethren or something. I'm not sure exactly. But, our board. Uh, brethren. <laughs> but I, there's a the thing, actually. You could you could make the argument from the opposite side that uh, if you see some of the communist structures in the old Soviet Union, how ugly they, they were. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, it's almost like, a, you know, how the atheistic state puts out, um, uh, went the other direction and went away from beauty. Um, uh, you know, the, the exactly, exact antithesis of it. So I guess I wanted to back up actually now and, um, uh, and so get into, um, I'm curious. So uh, why did you become an artist actually?
1: Um, I did not become an artist. I was, I was calling myself an artist from the time I could speak and I've never been able to do anything else. It's, it's really been, um, it's, it's really just been the, um, most, knowable part of myself like that i have brown hair or that i'm that i um <laughs> that i have two legs and two arms it's it's yeah. like i've always been part of your artist. identity yeah
2: it was like a the writer juvenile he said uh people ask him why was he was a satirist and he said how can i not be a satirist so, but yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah uh, i i couldn't i couldn't separate myself from from that it, it, um, i guess maybe this is a little tangential but um I uh, was recently interviewed by Harvard University to um, learn more about um, artists, um, artists who's, who were also career artists, so professional artists who made art as their way of life, their, how they made money. And um, so she was asking me about would, if, I, if I stopped being successful, would I, um, would I abandon my craft and try and find something else that I could be good at that would be lucrative? And I was yeah. like, well, no, absolutely not. And she said, oh, it's very interesting because there seems to be two camps of artists. There are people like you that are, that are just going to keep doing it, whether they're getting paid $5 a day or $1,000 a day to do it. And then there are these other people that sort of come into art and they feel like they're successful at it and they make art and then maybe they'll lose their success and so they'll they'll sort of abandon it and and move on to something else something that they else. can be successful at and yeah. I just I was completely flabbergasted because I thought who who are these people that just come into the art world and <laughs> and then just and, try it out and then the, just try it out and then leave I was like this is kind of a weird life to to have to do I mean it's um often, you know, as much as I hate the the stereotype of the starving artist there's there's often a um, poverty and um, wanting to do something else, but having a having a brain that's completely focused on art it's it's like you can never do anything else, yeah and I've never been able to do anything else, and God in fact, won't let me do anything else every time I try to once I tried to get a job in the corporate world because I was really broke and I really needed health insurance. And um, I had so many providential moments where, where God um, was just like, no, you can't do that. For example, I um, I had an interview to be a PR person at Clorox Bleach. Hmm. I was like, well, I'm pretty good at PR. I've done it for myself for a long time. And yeah. I love bleach. I'm a real clean gal. I could I could definitely... <laughs> be the PR person for, for Clark's Bleach. So I was, I was, you know, I got this meeting set up, we were sitting at the Four Seasons and having, having supper together and it was, it was going to be perfect. And she was, she got, she asked me why I, why I really didn't have any work experience. And I was like, well, I've been an artist for the past, um, five years. And she was like, wait, you're an artist. Well, yeah, but I, I'm trying to do a new career trajectory. And she said, well, I'm not gonna let you do this I'm not gonna give you this job it doesn't matter how good you are go home and be an artist and make uh-huh. that work don't work for Clorox <laughs> and I was like I tried to convince her unsuccessfully and and then you know I sort of that, that was sort of the moment when I really realized that um, I needed to really fully invite God into my practice and make it as much about him as it was about making money and about sort of like being successful critically, yeah. um, you know, getting getting good shows and getting good reviews and having the right collectors buy my work and that sort of thing, and so, and that really changed things for me, but um, I've never been able to do anything else, and I don't know who these other people are that can kind of swoop in and make it a business for themselves for a while and then swoop back out because I think Try it's... Try
2: something different every few years. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's kind of more of a, more of a grind. Um, it's, or a location. Yeah. Yeah. It's a vocation, yeah. It's like you know, he, what a, what a priest get out of his vocation because it was unsuccessful. Wasn't
2: working too well. <laughs> I was saying my podcast. People were, were asking, "Well, what what is it?" I was like, "Well, if it makes a lot of money, then it's a business. If it doesn't, then it's an apostolate." So I'm, I'm gonna go that way. But and they didn't like the term "scam apostolate" either. They scam
1: apostolate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> You know, and and sometimes sometimes you can have both, and that's amazing. But um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I definitely think of it more as a vocation than a than a job.
2: Yeah. yeah in engineering, uh, I'm from uh, yeah. People uh I th- I explain that you know some of my coworkers that's that's they're engineers because they 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 can't do anything other than engineering. So that's mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a vocation. So it's you know, if they weren't doing that, they would just uh, be entirely unhappy. So.
1: But, yeah.
2: So I'm curious about the process and about the, um, uh, so you, um, looks like almost exclusively work in acrylic paint.
1: Yes, that's right. So all of my paintings are acrylic paint on a synthetic paper, which is not actually paper at all. It's uh, 100% polypropylene sheets that are um, opaque plastic. So um, yeah, it's, it's plastic paint on plastic
2: paper. Is so there any particular reason you chose uh, like acrylic versus, uh, paint versus uh, watercolor, or what's the... Um...
1: Well, the material that I work on is a Japanese product called Yupo, and um, Yupo is a very new product. It's only been on the American market about maybe five or six years. It was developed in Japan about 10 years ago, as an, and it was marketed here in the U.S. as an erasable watercolor paper. Hmm. So if you paint with watercolor on it, you can actually run it under a faucet, and it will come totally clean. Huh. I started experimenting with acrylic on the paper um, probably, let's see, it was like probably three or four years ago, and um, I, I, I was... The material is very strange, so it's completely non-absorbent. It's just like plastic, and it's ultra yes. smooth. So when I started painting on it, um, I was formally trained to paint in acrylics, so I'm most comfortable with acrylic paint. So I just started playing with it, and um, it was maddening, and I hated it. But I knew that it was that it had a lot of potential, so I kept experimenting with it, and I produced, lo- you know, dozens and dozens of hot garbage paintings that went in the trash can and then um and then once it kind of clicked for me how to work on it i I realized that what was happening was this chemical process where the uh plastic in the paint fuses to the plastic of the paper Mm. and then as the water evaporates off the surface since there's no absorption um all you're looking at on the surface is pure pigment so that's why they're ultra vibrant paintings yeah
2: yeah
1: um any other kind of paper would really dull out the color a lot but these are just pure acrylic pigment that you're seeing i have one you can touch you can feel how i was wondering
2: if there's a texture to them
1: yeah so you see how it fuses to the paper yeah it's it's interesting
2: yeah like some uh there's a tiny bit of texture but mostly, yeah it's been absorbed or, or just sort of yeah yeah fused to them. not absorbed they, or, fused. Yeah, fused, yeah yeah
1: because um there's no absorption at all <laughs> but um yeah so i think it's i think it's fascinating material
2: you wanted to talk about so uh yeah you had you had a couple different of your uh, your collections uh, online mm-hmm. um, yeah they all have catholic themes to them i see so uh see <laughs> so the one uh I guess we can bring it up. Um, the brutal resurrections, mm-hmm. uh, and e- each uh, each theme or each one seems to have a certain color scheme that goes with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so I guess the brutal resurrection seems like it's uh, mostly red and blue.
1: Yeah, red and blue is is. Um present in a lot of my paintings. I guess I use some other colors in Brutal Resurrections because, um, so, Brutal Resurrections was about the connections between, um, symbolism of nature and spirituality. So, um, for example, here's, um, Blood on the Moon. Yeah. Which is, um about this uh, prophecy that when there's five blood moons in a year that Jesus will return and in 2016 we had four blood moons and I made it in 2016 oh, okay. and so it was kind of like a, another blood moon and the idea that the, the moon can be a very important symbol in our in our faith um, it's and
2: it's even tied to when we have, uh, when Easter falls right, so
1: yeah, the, the moon's important and um i'm really fascinated by it so uh, a blood moon of course is when it's a big full moon and it has this this really strange red sheen on it and um so this is the idea that you know you would look in the sky and you would see this this moon this this blood moon and it would mean that um that everything was about to change that that you know perhaps um life as we know it would 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 end and there would be some some great spiritual uh, renewal or reckoning that would would be physical. So
2: um, Revelation talks about the moon, the moon being as blood. So.
1: Yeah. So I I, t- I I tied a lot of um, symbolism from Catholicism and um, and of course uh, just n- nature in general. So um, the other one is the the burning bush, which of course is a, you know, a symbol of an experience of God, mm-hmm. you know, that a bush would, would be a, a natural symbol that also was about, was about, um, meeting God. I have another painting, which is outside in the front, um, called the thick red sea, which again is about this, this reckoning that you would have with God where, um, like in the red sea where you have to, you have to trust and you're just walking and um in total fear and unknowing and um that that God is 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 working in your life in some way and and very physically in that instance in the reference to the Red Sea
2: it almost look i mean looks at like, um yeah the burning bush and the flame that's also um uh one of your other works uh is about the dark night and it reminds me of the purgation of the soul uh, during the dark night is uh, um, is all about sort of the God's fire burning away the, um, burning away the soul, uh, and purging.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the, the dark night, um, right there, that one is, uh, yeah, again, it's like, it has like a, a deep sort of, um, very bodily red color at the bottom. And, um, as you move up, it moves towards light, you know, this idea that you would be sort of, in this channel, where you start, you start in very a very physical way, and you move up up through this this channel into a very light way. And of course, um, water. The color blue represents water in my work, and water is a very spiritual substance. Um, of course, there's the water of baptism, and water is mentioned over and over again in the Bible. And so, for me, water is this. Is the, is the spiritual substance. And then, of course, I have the color red, which represents blood and sort of a more, like, physicality, like our human bodies or what's related to Earth. So red, and the juxtaposition of red and blue is always um, spiritual and physical, visible and invisible, yeah. that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, I know. Um, blue is the color of Mary. And uh, um, I think it was uh, uh, St. Louis uh, de Montfort, uh, he... He talked about, um, when God created the earth, he gathered all the waters and called it, um, 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 Maria. And, uh, and when he created, he created Mary, he gathered all the graces together mm. uh, to create her. So that's why, um, yeah, sometimes she's, you know, the lady, our lady of the sea and she, there's a tie between the, you know, Marine and Mary. Uh,
1: oh, that's, that's new to me. That's beautiful.
2: So now I'll jump over to the, uh. Uh, this is the cloud of unknowing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, uh, yeah, slightly different colors you're using here. You're using some lighter blues. Uh, and, uh, um, yeah, I mentioned, you know, my fondness for the Simpsons and you, you have donut-shaped. Uh, some donut-shape work.
1: Yes, <laughs> the donut shape. From? So, the 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 i'm using scare quotes here the donut (laughs) is actually this idea of of um so it's what i call a loop um and there's a hole in the middle so this idea that there would always be that these paintings would have um you know this beautiful painting in, in a sort of a donut shape and then in the middle there'd be a white space which would represent this frustrated space this this place within you that is always unfulfilled in this life, um, physically and spiritually. So, in a physical sense, um, everything everything holding a space for something else. So, like, your, your skin is holding a space for something, and, and inside of that your, your organs are hollow, and your, your blood vessels are hollow, and inside of that is hollow, and it's like everything is whole has space in it yeah. and everything has a hole in it and it's like your entire and then to sort of segue into the spiritual sense is like your entire physical body is is yearning and holding a space for for something that is um um that that can't be can't be fulfilled in this life yeah and that space is you know god or nihilism or you know it's like that there's some frustrated unfulfilled part of you that can never really know
2: it's like saint augustine uh our our souls are restless until they rest in you or um or the one writer that said we uh, we have a god-shaped hole in us
1: yeah yeah uh, something like that um and i very i i reckon with that and and the the hole in the painting so Um, so I make paintings that, you know, have little holes in the middle.
2: (laughs) So you have one called Swirling Humanity. Tell me a little bit about that one.
1: Um, yeah, so that one, um, it it looks sort of like, um, like an organ, like
2: a intestine. It could be the intestines, yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely the intestine. And that one's really about uh the sensuality of of death and and of and of your own body and how the sensuality of of just having your senses overwhelmed by knowing about your body and just the knowledge of its complexity and of its um, of all of the things that make up your body that can be beautiful and grotesque and alarming and and it's just sort of like this moment where if you could you could sort of have a symbol that would show you that you were just this little frail, bloody sack that was sort of floating in space and um, to really just show a vulnerability yeah, about your life.
2: Yeah, Marcus Aurelius talked a little bit about that in his meditations, uh, about how um, uh, the human condition can be beautiful but also... Um, you know, if you contemplate on it too much, you can you can get grossed out by it. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> he put it more more uh, beautiful than that.
1: <laughs> it's true.
2: <laughs> I, was, I was just jumping around here. Uh, inside the drops of water or ripples of darkness. So that's it's got an interesting. Uh, um, it's got almost contour lines in it in the, this painting. Um, so. It's like a teardrop, I suppose, uh, yeah, a teardrop like shape.
1: a teardrop shape, but it's like a teardrop that is um, active. It's, it's moving. The water is rippling inside of it. Um, and that there there could be this, you know, this idea that our, our tears are something that... Um, um, Father Charlie in um, Dripping Springs at St. Martin de Porres, he, he said once that tears were liquid prayers and to think about that each individual tier would 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 hold this world inside of it with, with darkness and um, of like flesh and also water and having a spiritual sense to it
2: I'm not sure how to pronounce that one.
1: The Garua. So Garua is a weather phenomenon in the Andes Mountains, primarily um, in South America. And a Garua is fascinating to me. Um, A Garua is a super dense, low-hanging, transparent cloud. Um, So there could be a Garua right here in this room. And you wouldn't be able. You, you can't see the garua. Yeah. You the only way that you would know it was president. Present. President. Um, the only way you would know it was present is if you if you walked into its boundaries, your body would become soaking wet. Yeah. So it's this idea, um, and of course, the series is called the Cloud of Unknowing, um, which is the, the
2: that's the yeah middle uh, the
1: it's an anonymous medieval text on yeah. early Christian mysticism um, and contemplative prayer. And so and I guess it's,
2: it's, uh, yeah, in, in a series of, um, or I guess people like to think that it's sort of a part of a, part of a chain or part of a, um, yeah, um, Catholic mysticism that might include also like Meister Eckhart and, uh, um, or, but definitely like, um, St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa. Yeah.
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that book was really inspirational to me and I was really fascinated by Garuas and, um, so the idea that in the in the cloud of unknowing, again, I'm drawing comparisons between the visible and invisible world and the spiritual and the physical world. So the cloud of unknowing, this idea that there would be this cloud that you could enter where you just abandon yourself to mystery um, and without being able to see or experience anything, or without being able to see or know anything, you would have an experience of God if you could enter this cloud. The same way that the guru is this, fascinating cloud you can't see it it's not there until you experience it yeah and then you're wet and so both of those things um i think are really rich symbols for me of the the um symbolism of water and clouds as these these very deep spiritual um moments that that we have that i have
2: <laughs> then you're um yeah, I guess then the last uh, collection, it was the um, called Blood and White.
1: Yeah, Blood and White is perhaps a less spiritual collection. Um, this was a series of work that I did um, on uh, mental and physical disease, um, talking about the fragility of life and how... Um, how you could how you could reckon with your body as being this very very fragile um, easily extinguishable thing that that holds you that holds who you are so those those works um you know they're about different diseases um like intestinal diseases, heart disease um different different body parts trying to make something that was like maybe kind of gross, yeah. something beautiful or something worth looking at again.
2: And you use different colors than some of your other work.
1: Yeah. So that was probably the first, the first series of work that I did on UPO paper. Hmm. Um, and in these I'm, I'm definitely sort of speaking to a more physical thing.
0: Yeah.
1: So um, after I did that series of work, I, I really felt more of a call to make work that was more spiritually focused. And so, now I had, and then I and then I introduced the color blue, which before before this series of work, before blood and white, I had exclusively made art um, that was red or white. Mm-hmm. So I'd always worked in a very limited palette of red and white, and and, now, um, and it's the
2: extremes of the, the palette too, the red red versus blue, right?
1: So yeah. Yeah, so now I'm working now I now I've incorporated another color, blue, and um, I'm not of course I incorporate other colors in my commissioned work, but um. I guess thematically and conceptually for my own work I'm, I'm not I'm not quite sure where I'm going next I, I started to incorporate some golden rod in um, brutal resurrections and I'm thinking maybe I'll maybe I'll keep going with that
2: yeah there were a couple other um, uh, yeah there's some other quotes from uh, um, kind of tied this all together one was uh, from yeah, St. John Paul II, because I, uh, I guess via pulchritudinus was from a, uh, was from a, a Pope, um, uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I noticed uh, Pope John Paul II, he had a letter to artists, and he said, God called man into existence, committing to him the craftsman's task. Through his artistic creativity, man appears more than ever in the image of God, and he accomplishes this task above all in shaping the wondrous material, of his own humanity and then exercising creative dominion over the universe which surrounds him so it's uh um yeah it sounds sort of like uh um yeah man uh, mimicking god in his in his create, uh, creative creative uh, uh, activity
1: yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> but um uh it's funny cause uh um honestly Nietzsche said something similar uh and uh, I guess he uh uh obviously he'd have a way different take than St. John Paul II, but it, it reminds me of something Nietzsche said about that God was looking for co-creators. Yeah, uh, so, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and, uh, via pulchritudinus, I like the, the quote, um, a work of art is the fruit of the creative capacity of the human person who stands in wonder before the visible reality, who seeks to discover the depths of its meaning and to communicate it through the language of forms, color, and sounds. And, uh, um it reminds me of, um, when I read uh, Thomas Merton, uh, he, you know, you're, you, it's hard to get any any concrete concept out of the guy, out of his uh, writings, right, in your, and, yeah. um, you're like, you, you know, after a while, you know, read a couple, you know, you're hundred pages in, you're like, you know, he hasn't really said anything yet, and, uh, or, you know, you're trying to figure out what is he saying, and um, some of his uh, critics or some of, you know, people that have analyzed his work have said, well, he's trying to explain something that doesn't really explain well in words, so it's kind of like, you know, art, you know, in some ways art could be a better, um, uh, might be a better medium for explaining, you know, some uh, certain spiritual concepts rather than words. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I'm reading uh, reading New Seeds of Contemplation right now, and um, it's like, this book is not about how to, how to perform contemplative prayer, or how to be a contemplative I should say. The, the book is not about how to be a contemplative. It, it would be it would be as if I could would write a book called how to be an angel.
0: Yeah.
1: There, there couldn't be anything. So, and, and really he's, you know, in his hermitage and he's just writing for himself really. So I think about that and kind of, it's kind of similar to, to the, the visual artist, you know, it's like, I'm I'm here alone in my hermitage part time. And, um, and that cultivating that solitude is extremely important to my craft. And so I come in and, and it's like you're working on something that's ultimately, um, you know, reflecting back to you what, whatever it is that you're meditating on. And then if you're really lucky, somebody will come along and they'll look at whatever you're doing or they'll read whatever you're doing and they'll have an experience of it that is similar to what you were thinking And that's whenever I think it's successful (laughs) as an artist, whenever someone looks at something and, and, and says, Oh, like it's, it's a heart and it's, it's busted open and there's water splashing everywhere. Yes, that's what I'm thinking about. And I think those moments are really important. And then, you know, whenever they're unsuccessful, it's okay too, because ultimately it's, you know, it's, it's worth pursuing, um, contemplative, um, it's worth pursuing a meditative state to try to understand, not to try to understand but to try to release yourself to the mystery and yeah, probably Thomas Byrne could talk for hours and hours and hours and write books and books and books and and it, he couldn't actually ever tell you, well this is the thing that you should know
2: yeah, Yeah. you, c- you couldn't make a powerpoint slide out of any of it really yeah Mm-mm. <laughs> So uh so tell us about so if people wanna buy your art we can uh um we can put the link on the on the website. Uh, yeah,
1: absolutely. That. I'm an independent artist. I sell all of my work myself and um so just email me at Caitlin at or visit my website cgmacollum.com or just come by and visit me here at Pump Project. And, um, in the
2: hipster hipster East Austin studio. In the yeah.
1: hipster East Austin studio, yeah. and I'm here. Cool. I all love right. selling art to putting art in the homes of good Catholic people
2: <laughs> and others. Yeah. And pagans, they can go in pagan pagan, pagan homes houses. are welcome yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. I'll
1: all be right. a little subversive, putting some Catholic art in a pagan home. That's right. Yeah, you sneak, sneak it in.
2: But
1: it happens. It does. Yeah.
2: And it has an effect on people, right? So that's uh, yeah. That's the point. All right, well, thanks for being on the show. And, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll put the link on the, uh, on the website when we put the, thank put the you. podcast out. So. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. All
2: right. That's the show for this week. I'd like to thank my guest, Caitlin McCollum, for sharing her paintings and her thoughts on art. I also want to thank my friend Katie Martin for co-hosting. And thank you for joining us for a mile or two in our walk with God. This is Joe Geisler saying goodnight and God bless from Austin, Texas.
1: Be
0: closer to the Lord. Just chill out now with Joe's people.